Hey, welcome to The Soul Trap. My name is Joel Tillis, and we are glad to have you as always. And we trust that wherever, whenever this broadcast finds you, it finds you in good health, good spirits, and on that good and narrow way. We are going to be talking about fiery flying serpents, the cockatrice. You know, um, nothing is off limits here at The Soul Trap. And every once in a while, we like to go down some of these strange paths, and especially when they intersect with the Bible. Now, you know, I've known, I've never been a super big hunter. I've done a little bit of hunting here and there, but I have known some men that have, that have been hunters, uh, men that have been out in the swamps, out in the mountains. And even when you talk to them, they will tell you whether they have seen something or not, that there are things that go on out in the woods sometimes that are hard to wrap your mind around, dimensional, spiritual, whatever you may call it. And there are some men, and, and even in history, in fact, we mentioned about the story of Teddy Roosevelt and the story that he heard. There are people that have heard and experienced events that take place that are beyond the normal, easy to categorize zoological encounter or even experience. And such today is the case of the cockatrice. I have a couple books that you ought to pick up. One is called The Magical Beast. The other is Monsterology. And then there's a great little book here called The Mythical Creatures uh, of the Bible by Brenda Rosen. The Mythical Creatures of the Bible by Brenda Rosen. It's a very interesting little book, and it talks about the cockatrice. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that your King James Bible is... It's an unusual book. It just is. I mean, it is supremely far beyond anything else that has ever existed on earth outside the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ. It is an inspired book. It is given by inspiration. It is a book that is both practical and magical. And it is a book that allows us to peer into a world that we could not possibly know. Uh, and there have been many strange accounts throughout the Bible. And, and strange accounts of beings and even sometimes animals that we're unfamiliar with. Uh, I know that there is a lot of teaching, but what exactly is the Leviathan? I think there's good sound doctrinal speculation, but I don't know that anybody can say this is what it is. What is behemoth? I think there's good sound doctrinal approximation, but I don't know that anybody can look right at it and go, that's what it is. The Bible, of course, mentions dragons. And then it talks about cherubs. And it says that cherubs are beasts, uh, seraphims, watchers, devils, spirits, unicorns, ostriches that seem to have a pride issue with God and have gotten too cocky and therefore have been cursed by God. And then, of course, we come to today's subject, the subject of the cockatrice. Now, in Isaiah 11, the Bible says, And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. Now, in other words, in Isaiah, it seems to appear that just as there is an asp, so there is a cockatrice. And it would not be informative to anyone if it was not real. If I said, hey, one of these days children are going to play with a non-real animal, that would not mean anything to you. But to the day in which... Isaiah was writing, and possibly even in the future, that made a lot of sense. There's also a statement in Isaiah 14, Rejoice not thou, whole Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken, for out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice. Interesting. 
Out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit, the serpent's fruit, shall be a fiery flying serpent. There's another text found in Isaiah 59. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. What are these beings? What is the cockatrice? Well, a cockatrice is supposedly a mythical beast. Essentially, it is a two-legged dragon or serpent-like creature with a rooster's head. It is described as an ornament in the drama of poetry of the Elizabethan English. It was featured prominently in English thought and myth for centuries. It is described in its current form in the late 14th century. Now, the Oxford English Dictionary gives a, deriv uh, a derivation of the Old French word and also from the medieval Latin. And these come together and mean tracker. The 12th century legend was actually based on a reference in Pliny's natural history. Now, the cockatrice has the reputed ability to kill people by either looking at them, a la Medusa, the death-darting eye of the cockatrice, it was stated, or touching them or sometimes breathing on them. It was repeated in the late medieval times that the weasel, go figure, is the only animal that is immune to the glance of the cockatrice. It was also thought that a cockatrice would die instantly upon hearing a rooster crow. And according to legend, having a cockatrice look at itself in a mirror is one of the few surefire ways to kill it. Now, in this book, The Mythical Creatures of the Bible, Brenda Rosen states that in the 14th century, English author Geoffrey Chaucer mentioned a term or the word called the basilisk in his Canterbury Tales, calling it a basilicoc which evolved into the cockatrice. This new creature combined the original serpent likeness of the Boscalos with the head, neck, and legs of a cockerel. In some descriptions, the new beast also had dragon-like wings, wait for it, and a human face. Now, what's interesting to me about that little last tidbit there, a human face, is because it's very similar to what we find in the book of Revelation, I believe in chapter number nine, where there will be beings that are released out of the bottomless pit and they will have the hair of a woman and the face of a man. Okay, so these beings are going to come out of the bottomless pit. I've got the text right here. Revelation said, the fifth angel sounded, a star fell. Verse number two, he opened the bottomless pit and there arose smoke out of the pit. Verse number three, there came out of the smoke. Interesting. Not just the pit, but out of the smoke, locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass and it goes on talking about it. Uh, and then it says that the shape of the locusts, verse seven, were likened to horses prepared unto battle. That's a fascinating description. And on their heads, as it were, were crowns. I want you to keep that little phrase in mind. On their heads were crowns. On their heads were crowns like gold, and their faces 
whereas the face of men, and they had the hair of women, and their teeth, whereas the teeth of lions. They had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots, and many horses running to battle. Those are spiritual beings, we believe, but they are nonetheless real, literal beings that are proceeding out of the bottomless pit. Well, she writes here in the mythological creatures of the Bible, Brenda Rosen writes that these dragon-like wings and they had the face of a human. Interesting connection there. As deadly as the basilisk uh, and the cockatrice could be, it could also rot the fruit off of trees and could turn people to stone with a look. Does that sound familiar? Now, this is not just an English mythology. You find this in Hindu mythology. You find this with Buddhism and the Nagas are framed as the protectors of Buddha. You'll find this quite a bit across the board. The Nidhag in Norse cosmology and the Oris Boros in the cultures that are in other places around the world, especially in areas that worship the sun. So, as I said earlier, the first use of this English word was actually found in John Wycliffe's 1382 translation of the Bible to translate different Hebrew words. This usage was followed by the King James Version, the word being used several times. It was also used in Shakespeare's play Richard III. The Duchess of York compares her son Richard to a cockatrice. A cockatrice is also mentioned in Romeo and Juliet, Act 3, Scene 2, Line 47, mind you. And it is used by Juliet. A cockatrice is also mentioned, wait for it, in Harry Potter. All roads lead to Harry Potter. Now, I think it is, it is very interesting to look at this through the lens of the Bible because there are a lot of possibilities. First of all, we're unclear as to exactly what these flying fiery serpents are. In other words, uh, are they a chimera? Are they a mixture? Are they spiritual, dimensional, demonic? Are they simply creatures that no longer exist? Maybe they have vanished. Maybe they're somewhere in between. They're creatures, but from another dimension, much like the horse and chariot that raptured out Elijah. Whatever the case is, there is a reality that seems strange to us, no doubt. And the cockatrice is one of these stories that is strange indeed and locked away in the lore of mythology. We can read the books and talk about it and wonder about it and go on about our business. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, there is more than lore and myth. Maybe there is more to the story. Well, we came across this strange article entitled Bizarre Accounts of Mysterious Flying Serpents by Brent Swanser on Mysterious Universe. And we've, we want to recommend that you go to mysteriousuniverse.org. They've got some great, great little articles there. But Brent Swanser, writing about flying serpents, states, in the world of mysterious, undiscovered beasts, we have creatures of all shapes and sizes, with some being more bizarre than others. One corner of the cryptozoology that has quite a few rather strange stories is that of various flying winged reptiles, which have popped up in numerous cultures across the world. And again, I want to stop there and say that that's something that you should always be looking for as a student of the Bible, and I think as a student of 
the paranormal and 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 this genre is the connectivity and that's one of the things that you'll see over and over and over is you'll see it in norse mythology you'll see it in asiatic mythology you'll see these common threads across and that's what what swanser is talking about he states perhaps standing out the uh, among the oddest of these are the various accounts of flying snakes the region of Arabia has long been said to be the home of some sort of flying serpent, notably in the area around the Arabian Sea. Now, I'm going to digress here because you might want to pick up and read, and we'll come to that in a minute, but you might want to go ahead and pre-read Numbers chapter 21. Again, a major connectivity between rumor, lore, research, and the Bible. He states, the region of Arabia has long been said to be the home of some sort of flying serpent, notably in the area around Arabia. They were typically described as looking like water snakes, only with bat-like wings upon which they could take flight, sometimes in vast numbers. They were said to lurk about under frankincense trees, and farmers harvesting these trees were so afraid of them, uh, they would burn strax, which is the resin, of a particular tree under the trees which was said to drive the serpents away. The only time when the region was supposedly safe from these malicious winged snakes was during spring when they were said to migrate, wait for it, to Egypt. Now this is very interesting as I mentioned just a minute ago because the connectivity with the Bible is amazing. In Numbers 21 chapter 21 verse 6 the Bible says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass, that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Interesting, in connection with trying to get rid of the fiery serpent, is frankincense. Well, what did the three wise men bring to Jesus? Gold, myrrh, frankincense. In Deuteronomy chapter number 8, the Bible says, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. Swanson goes on to write, Far from mere folklore, the Arabians describe these as real animals, giving a good deal of detail on their behavior and life cycle. For instance, the female was said to kill the male during mating that the young would eat their way out of the womb, killing the mother, and that the primary predator was ibis birds. Occasionally, these winged snakes were seen by outsiders. And in fact, in the 4th century BC, Greek historian Herodotus passed through the region and learned much about these creatures from the locals. They told him of the snakes' habitats and behaviors, even showing him the mountain pass they were said to pass through during their annual migration and how the ibis birds would congregate there in great numbers during this time to feed on the serpents. He would claim that he had also seen large numbers of skeletons from these snakes at the pass. Herodotus would write of these creatures at length in his book, Histories, saying, quote, there is a region, moreover, in Arabia, situated nearly over against the city of Muto, to which place I came to inquire about the winged serpents. Now, again, let me stop and digress here. We need to be real careful when we're talking about the ancients that we don't act like they were all idiots. Simply because they wore togas or sandals doesn't mean that they were morons. 
They knew <laughs> silliness when they heard it. They knew fables when they heard it. Herodotus was a respected historian to a large degree, and his histories are studied. I've studied it myself at University of South Florida in, in history classes. So he went to inquire about flying fiery serpents. Okay. And when I came hither, he said, I saw bones of serpents and spines in quantities so great that it is impossible to make report of the number. And there were heaps of spines, some heaps large and others less large and others smaller still than these. And these heaps were many in number. The region in which the spines are scattered upon the ground is of the nature of an entrance from a narrow mountain pass to a great plain, which plain adjoins the plain of Egypt. And the story goes that at the beginning of the spring, winged serpents from Arabia fly toward Egypt. Now, wait a second. The beginning of spring. It's interesting because when the children of Israel came out of, when they came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt on the night of the Passover. Anybody know what night the Passover is? They came out the night of April 14th, the night of the Passover. March, April, May, springtime area. Interesting, the connection there with the Bible. It says, They fly toward Egypt, and the birds called ibises meet them at the entrance of this country, and do not suffer the serpents to go by, but kill them. On account of this deed it is, say the Arabians, that the ibis has come to be greatly honored by the Egyptians. And the Egyptians also agree that it is for this reason they honor these birds. As for the serpent, its form is like that of a water snake. And it has wings, not feathered, but most nearly resembling the wings of the bat. Let so much suffice as has been said now concerning the sacred animal. Again, Herodotus writes, in Arabia is the most distant to the south of all inhabited countries. And this is the only country which produces frankincense and myrrh. What did they bring to Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He writes, cassia, cinnamon, and other spices. All these except myrrh are difficult for the Arabians to get. They gather frankincense by burning certain flowers and carrying them to Hellas. They burn this and so get the frankincense. For the spice-bearing trees are guarded by small winged snakes of varied color, many around each tree. These are the snakes that attack Egypt. You've got winged serpents guarding a spice tree. Hmm. So too, Herodotus writes, if the vipers and the winged serpents of Arabia were born in a natural manner of serpents, life would be impossible for men. But as it is, when they copulate, while the male is in the act of procreation, and as soon as he has placed his seed, the female seizes him by the neck and does not let him go until she has bitten through. The male dies in the way described, but the female suffers in return for the male the following punishment. Avenging their father, the young, while they are still within the womb, gnaw at their mother, and eating through her bowels, thus make their way out. And you thought you had it rough, ladies. Other snakes that do no harm to men lay eggs and hatch out of their number of young. The Arabian winged serpents do indeed seem to be numerous, but that is because, although they are vipers in every land, these are all in Arabia and are found nowhere else. The Arabians get frankincense in the foregoing way. Now, 
Swanson goes on to write, another region long said to be inhabited by flying snakes is the desert of Karos region in Nambia, on the southwest coast of Africa. They are called actually the Nambian flying snakes. Supposedly, they have a quite striking appearance, and these are not smaller snakes. These measure anywhere from 9 to 25 feet in length with a wingspan of 30 feet. Now get your tape measure, go out in the yard and measure, let's call it split the difference, measure 12, 15 feet in length and measure a 30 foot wingspan. Is that a flying snake or is that a dragon? The text says, being yellowish brown with light spots or black in color with the ability to camouflage itself like a chameleon. It is said to be able to produce bioluminescence from a crest or a crown on its head. And is known for its loud, roaring vocalizations. Roaring, roaring. Is there something connected with Satan that uses the word roaring? We'll have to look that up at another time. They are said to live in caves during the day and come out at dusk, and they are extremely territorial. Locals are apparently terrified of the beasts, which they believe prey on the livestock and even animals. Despite just terrifying locals, these creatures have been reported by outsiders since the days of the first African exploration of the region. And one of the more notable accounts supposedly occurred in 1942 in the vicinity of a farm near Kiris West in southwest Nambia. The account goes that a farmer named Michael Esterheis was tending to his flock of sheep when he smelled something like burnt tar and looked to see an enormous snake bounding down a hill before shooting straight up into the air on huge wings with a sound like wind blowing through a pipe and a great roaring noise. Man, there's so, there's so many things there. Take that word pipe or pipes and run that back into Ezekiel chapter 28 and tell me what you come up with. And then the noise in their wings. Run that in the Bible and tell me what you come up with. Anyway, Esther House would claim to encounter the creature on two more occasions after that. And it was compelling enough that it was investigated by the local officials. The South African Museum official who in 1938 brought to the attention of the world the existence of other such strange animals. In 1978, there was another notable sighting in 1978 when a French farmer who was tending his cattle and noticed a light approaching him. As it drew closer, he could see that the light was emanating from a crest or crown atop the head of a vast winged serpent, which would swoop down to attack one of his cows and fly off. This French farmer would later say, quote, I saw what looked like, as the best matching description I can give you, is that it looked like a dragon. It had a white, bright light on its head, which was blinding me. Now, I tend to think that there is a being in the Bible known as the dragon, which can appear as an angel of light. But I'm sure these are all just pure coincidental concepts here. He said it had a bright white light on its head, which was blinding me. The color of it was brown and yellow. It had green eyes. You ever heard of the green-eyed monster? It had green eyes. There was a tar-like smell. Again, same phrase, a tar-like smell from it, and it had smoke coming out of its nostrils. 
1988, Professor and Explorer Roy Mackle traveled to the region to investigate such reports, and although he was unable to see one of the creatures or gather any evidence, he came away convinced that the creature was real. Again, this is an interesting statement. No evidence, but convinced that it was real. Europe has its share of such accounts as well, and in particular, the woodlander around Penelin uh, Castle in the country of Glamorgan. It seems to be a wellspring for flying snakes. The Welsh flying snakes have traditionally been described as being six to nine feet long, having feathers this time, and being very beautiful, but at the same time aggressive and dangerous. They were also supposedly ravenous, and often shot by the farmers trying to keep them away from their chickens. In her book, Folklore and Folk Stories of Wales, author Mary Trevelyan writes of these mysterious creatures, and here's what she has to say about them. The woods around the castle had the reputation of being frequented by winged serpents. And these were the terror of old and young alike. An aged inhabitant who died a few years ago said that in his boyhood, the winged serpents were described as very beautiful. They were coiled when in repose and looked as though they were covered with jewels of all sorts. What? Wait a second. That, that can't possibly be connected at all. Could it? Go run Ezekiel 28. Go run Ezekiel 28 and you'll find that there is a being there as well. And he likewise is covered with jewels. It said that he was covered with all jewels of all sorts. Some of them had crests sparkling with the colors of the rainbow. Interesting who has adopted the rainbow now. When disturbed, they glided swiftly, sparkling all over to their hiding places. When angry, they flew over people's heads with outspread wings, bright and sometimes with eyes too, like the feathers in a peacock's tail. The proud peacock, pride, Isaiah 14. He said it was no old story invented to frighten children, but a real fact. His father and uncles had killed some of them, for they were, quote, as bad as foxes for poultry. This old man attributed the extinction of winged serpents to the fact that they were, quote, terrors in the farmyards and coverts. An old woman whose parents in her early childhood took her to visit Pinmark Place said she often heard the people talking about the ravages of the winged serpents in that neighborhood. Swanser goes on to write, another recent report of flying serpents of some sort in Wales supposedly happened as late as 2001. In March of that year, a British biologist and a few colleagues were doing some field work in the area when they apparently encountered, quote unquote, a serpentine dragon. A report on the incident is found in Strange Magazine, and it states the following. A British biologist and a few colleagues were conducting some research in the area after being notified by a local of something strange that was witnessed a month earlier. As they stood at the edge of some woods by a quarry, they suddenly looked upon an extraordinary, and here's the word that's fascinating, entity. Measuring three feet or so in length, it resembled a serpentine dragon with four short limbs, but its head was shaped like that of a seahorse. Now take a look at a seahorse if you ever get the chance and tell me if it looks like a crest or a crown on their head. It states it looked like a seahorse and it was airborne, undulating and wriggling as it flew about 10 feet above the surface of the quarry in a wide circle. 
they were unable to recall seeing any wings, but it had a long tail that ended in a pair of horizontal whale-like flukes. The entity was green in color and shimmered somewhat, but appeared solid, not translucent or ethereal. They watched it for three to four minutes at a distance of approximately 50 feet before it finally vanished into one of the numerous caves and large crevices pitting the quarry. The biologist had the distinct impression while watching this creature that it was deliberately seeking to keep them at bay, warning them off from approaching further into its territory. Now, we have speculated in other episodes that the Earth is different in its expanse and nature than we are led to believe. This being was hiding in caves. The question is, could there be something from within that is coming out? Swanson goes on to write, hopping across the United States, here we find various bizarre reports of flying winged snakes. One spate of such sightings happened in the 1800s all over the country. In 1850s, settlers in the state of Nebraska began telling of giant flying undulating, interesting connective word, undulating, the same as what they saw in Britain, undulating serpents with lighted streaks along the sides that was frequently seen soaring over the Missouri River. In 1873, residents of Fort Scott, Kansas saw in the sky the form of a huge serpent, apparently perfect in form, surrounding the sun for several minutes. In June of that same year, farmers near Bonham, Texas saw a giant flying serpent along with a cloud. A report of the encounter in the Bonham Enterprise reads of that day, it seemed to be as large and as long as a telegraph pole. Now, you might want to go and read Zechariah. There's an interesting connection there. As long as a telegraph pole was a yellow striped color and seemed to float along without any effort. They could see it coil itself up, turn over, and thrust upward or thrust forward its huge head as if striking at something displaying the maneuvers of a genuine snake. The cloud and serpent moved in an easterly direction and were seen by persons a few miles this side of Honey Grove. I wonder what kind of heavenly warfare was taking place. I wonder if they were seeing something happen there. In Jerome Clark's Unnatural Phenomenon, A Guide to the Bazaar, Wonders of North America, there is a report from 1875 when two young men in Leavenworth, Kansas, claimed to have actually captured a flying snake. They claimed that they had been out hunting when a flying serpent measuring one foot long and with spots on its body began fluttering around them on two wings like the size of a man's hand. One of them was able to swat it out of the air with his hand and the other of them stomped it to death and put the body in a bottle of alcohol. Unfortunately, no one is really sure where that evidence is to date. Um, probably buried with the giant bones uh, in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian. In March of 1882, Swanson writes, two lumberjacks in California saw above the treetops a massive flying serpent with a head like a crocodile. One of the men fired his shotgun at it, which elicited a cry similar to that of a calf and bear combined, but gave no sign of being inconvenienced or injured. Several other people in the area also claimed to have seen the creature. In 1888, three young women in Darlington County, South Carolina, claimed to have seen a giant 15-foot-long serpent gliding above them at the speed of a hawk. 
making a hissing sound. And again, in 1897, a witness in Detroit, of all places, claimed to have seen something remarkable as well. Here is the account. Going down Grand River about four in the morning, the policeman I was with and I saw an object that looked to be about three feet in diameter. It was about a thousand feet in the air and was heading west. It was a silvery color and had a tail about three blocks long. It traveled like those big sea serpents you read about skimming over the top of the water. It made a low hissing noise that we could just hear. My dad, who was leaving our home for work, also saw it and seemed to pass right over our house between Leland and Alexandrin. What are we dealing with here, Swanson writes, with the accounts of these? While there are known flying, while there are known flying snakes and that they glide from tree to tree, they do not have wings and are very different than anything we have looked at here. Are these, he asks, simply misidentifications? Uh, are they tall tales? Are they just the product of extreme imagination? Many accounts have quite a colorful cast to them, suggesting folklore, he states, and others. But no matter what the answer is, the question may ultimately be an oddity that we have not yet been able to classify. Are they from another realm? Are they from another dimension? Are they from inner earth? Are they simply a, a zoological category that we have not classified? Or are they cryptozoology? These are strange accounts and ideas to be sure, he writes, but it gives us calls to think. And I think it gives us calls to think as well. The Bible speaks of beings, creatures that, as we mentioned earlier, will be released from the pit. They will be flying creatures that will go forth throughout the world. Flying serpents, beings from the pit, cockatrices. The truth fundamentally is stranger than fiction. And that's why you ought to read your Bible and be a Bible believer. Because the stuff in there is better than Netflix. Thank <laughs> you.